it is I, Leclerc. Welcome back to um, Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive uh, with me, Eggs Benedict. And me, Alison Barton-Simmons. I wasn't expecting that at all. That came from left field. Well, I'm trying to mix it up a bit. You know, the way I like to give Fred a rest every now and again. I'm always saying that. You should give Fred a rest. And you were supposed to... <laughs> yeah, you are. Um, <laughs> you were supposed to come up with your own, weren't you? Or weren't you thinking on one? I think I probably was, but I, oh, I, I, that's probably inspired me now, though. Maybe, yeah. Right, next week. Next week. Put me on the spot next week and okay. I will come up with my own, my own catchphrase. Um, we should probably apologise because we didn't put an episode out last week. Not that we're fucking obliged to, but we didn't because um, I've been in lockdown here in New Zealand and I've been a good boy and not left my spider hole because Jacinda told me I wasn't supposed to. Yeah, it's quite important. And I think, I think it's all all right. I think people will forgive you. Yes, I'm sure they will. Mm. Got a special bonus episode coming up, I think, uh, next week. So there'll be two next week. Exciting. I won't say what it's about, but you know, don't you? I know. Yeah. Um, interesting. Do I know? <laughs> you do. I told you. I was going to be talking to that fella. Anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Memory like a sieve. Oh, jeez. Yeah, see, that's it. It's like, it's like being off school for six weeks when you forget what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> well, we had a couple of weeks break. We'll have that bonus episode out and an episode on our usual Tuesday slot next week. But this week, we'll be a bit late. Well, you know that because you're listening to it now late, so I don't really need to say it, do I? What I do need to say is that we are in the middle of doing Faulty Towers, all 12 episodes, and we're up to episode four. And you can watch along and and listen along with us by watching the episodes on Dailymotion or BritBox or even BBC iPlayer, I believe. Yes, that's where I've been catching it. And this week's episode is The Hotel Inspectors. I like this one because I do, I do like a bit of Cribbins. Yeah, Cribbins is an annoying character in it. I mean, deliberately, he's deliberately an annoying character. He's, he's written as one and he plays it excellently. He does, he does. It's not lovable Cribbins, really. No, it's not the warm, cuddly Cribbins that we used to, is it? He's very... Um, irrit- he's irritating, I think, in this. Yes, he is, yeah, yeah. He's one of those characters you can understand a bit like Mrs Richardson. And in a later episode, you can understand why Basil is getting driven to distraction by him. Yes, totally. But uh, anyway, before we come on to that episode, um, we haven't got a quiz this week, but we have got a wee thing I wanted to talk about, which will be news to you. It's just basically a Twitter thread that came out a few weeks ago, which I thought was was really, really insightful and interesting. Right. Um, And the tweet read, I'm watching The Shining and it really is just faulty towers with firmer walls. That's a good. That's a good take. I think. I think so, but I mean, it's more the follow-up uh, tweets, which which just made. You, I mean, as a standalone tweet, you go, "Oh yeah, maybe." But then the follow-up tweets were like, "I mentioned I mentioned the horrific murder once, but I think I got away with it." <laughs> From our friends at RetroTube. Excellent. What else have we got in here? Instead of all work and no playmates, Jack a dull boy should have been a gin and orange, a lemon squash, <laughs> and a scotch and water, please. <laughs> The Shining would be improved by Ballard Berkeley turning up. Can't argue with that. No, always. If he was playing Danny, Red Rum. <laughs> oh, and the the the, um, the the twins, the twins are the, um, the 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 little old ladies. Yes, yeah, didn't think of that. Oh, you imagine him coming along in his little scooter to his dad. Papers arrived yet? <laughs> Just driving past reception. <laughs> Another tweet on this thread says, um, 
Jack's hair even looks like Basil's, a tad longer, but in that same slightly balding 70s vicinity. Which is true. It, it, it totally is. It totally is with the same kind of manicness to it that it's never, he just looks unkempt all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see as well. I mean, there's a slow uh, spiral of decline in Jack Torrance's character until he goes mad. And you, yeah. you could probably plot that alongside Basil's decline in any given episode of Faulty Towers. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it is, isn't it? It really is. Don't mention the red rum. <laughs> Plate of kippers for room 237. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Basil doing the silly walk around the maze at the end while Manuel hides. <laughs> I'm going to imagine that Faulty Towers has a topiary maze hidden around the back, largely unloved and overgrown, but Manuel is sent out to trim it once a year. It goes badly. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, oh, my God. It'd be like adding extra bits to it, wouldn't it? And just, like, you know, cutting it off so that it just doesn't work. Yeah. Anyway, I enjoyed that, so... At Kitty, Cost- I like that. At Kitty Costanza. Well done on that, on that thread. I thought it was great. Yeah, thank you. On that note, though, shall we get stuck into this episode? Yeah, let's do that. Series 1, Episode 4, The Hotel Inspectors. So the W's gone and the Y's slipped, isn't it, right at the start? I've got W and L. Oh, you're probably right, yeah. Are you watching it backwards? <laughs> no, not this week. I've got it in the right way around this week. So the episode starts with Sybil on the phone in the lobby doing that sort of hyena laugh that she does. Oh, I know. <laughs> I like it. Um, she's gossiping, presumably with Audrey, whilst Basil's trying to read the paper in, in, an office, in his office in a rare sort of moment of quiet for him. Yeah. Calm before the storm. And she's he's he's really annoyed, isn't isn't he, that she's got this sort of she's just skiving talking to Audrey and he's trying to have his peace and quiet and then she he realizes that she's pinched his lighter. Yeah, so he he's he's in search of, of something to light his cigarette while he's having a minute. Yeah, but he can't even get his lighter back off her. She gives him <laughs> she gives him a single swan vesta. One match <laughs> That's all you can have, just one match. <laughs> That's their relationship in a microcosm, isn't it? It is. Cribbins arrives. Hooray! Yay! Oh, it's always it's always nice to see him, Cribbins, when he turns up in anything. Even when he's looking like Hitler. Yeah, the hair is very, very. It's severe, isn't it? It really is severe. There's just yeah, there's not there's not much very Cribbins about him as this character, which which does show that he's got this sort of like his breadth of of, of acting talent. Is is it's quite wide, isn't it? Is is his his ability to wind me up tells me a lot. Yeah, he he's is very good in the episode. I have to say, I mean, he's he's always very good. Whether it's give us a clue because he was a red, regular mm. on that, wasn't he? Alongside Lionel Blair <laughs> and Lisa Garrard, <laughs> or Faulty Towers, or whatever he's in, Cribbins is great. In this though, I can't help wonder if his Hitler style hair and tash really were. Mm. Um, part of the zeitgeist in 1975 could you really get away with that look in 1975 so soon after the war it's something that appeared a lot i think to sort of highlight when somebody was there was something a bit off about a character yeah obviously hitler hitler was more than a bit off 
<laughs> well, he loved dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but it was almost like if 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 you looked at him and you saw that you, you could see the similarities in the aesthetic, you all you almost always then disliked that character. And I did think it happened a lot in the seventies. Probably true. It's that's actually probably what the Nazis themselves did with propaganda cartoons, where they painted the villain as being Jewish. You know, they always had like yeah. the big nose, and they were trying to accentuate those traits around money lending and everything. Just to, I mean, I'm not saying it's the same thing really, but what am I saying? It's how propaganda. It's how propaganda works. It's how it, it, people have their minds changed, I suppose, or or you you're directed to think something because of something that you see. Yeah, I don't know whether this is what Cleese and Booth were going for in this. I mean, it could just be more similar. Or probably a better analogy is to like the Eastern accents in eighties movies, Eastern mm. European accents denoting the villain. You know, the sneaky, um, unscrupulous yeah. Russian or whatever. But Cleese apparently was delighted to have um, Cribbins in the show. Um, he was he's a massive Bernard Cribbins fan. Apparently, he loves everything oh. he's ever done. And he was he's very praising in in the DVD commentary of, of his his energy in this particular role and how he never misses a beat and he keeps the energy going all the time, even when he's just like list, little grumblings to himself just to keep it high paced, which is what Faulty Towers is is of course. Of course, it's it's more it's almost um, the the reacting is is almost as important as the acting, which it is anyway when when you are acting, but the the ability to do it and it adds to the story. I think it's really important when something is so quickly paced like this. Yeah. This character, Mr. Hutchison, establishes himself as a bit of a tit straight away, doesn't he? Yeah. Because Faulty comes to greet him and he's clearly from from the first moment, he's just an arsehole because he says, it matters not one whit. <laughs> Basil just says, are you all right? <laughs> are you all right? Yeah. Darling, when you've finished, uh, why don't you have a nice lie down? <laughs> I'm so sorry to have kept you waiting, sir. I had no idea my wife was so busy. Fear not, kind sir, it matters not one whit. Beg your pardon? <laughs> it matters not one whit. Time is not pressing on me, fortunately. Now, some information, please. This afternoon, I have to visit the town for sundry purposes which would be of no interest to you, I'm quite sure. But nevertheless, I shall require your aid in getting for me some sort of transport, some hired vehicle, that is, to get me to my first port of call. You all right? Oh yes. Yes, I find the air here most invigorating. I see. What did I gather from your first announcement that you want a taxi? In a nutshell. Case, all right. Well, he wants a taxi, doesn't he? But um, he doesn't want to use the telephone, as he has a fear of infections from the receiver. That that, that did tickle me. The fact that he was very very pernickety. He was. But do you think that was a, a genuine thing? Do you think people used to get ear infections from old school? Telephone receivers. Old school telephones, what, holding it to your, to your head? I don't know. The way people use mobile phones now irritates me quite a lot because they put it on speakerphone and then hold it up and just talk into the bottom while listening to the other person speak coming out the phone loudly. I don't know if this is a thing in New Zealand, is it? Here, people just, rather than putting a phone to their ear like, like that, they hold it like that and talk into the bottom while the person's voice is booming out of the actual fog. Well, I'm so antisocial, I never see anyone, especially during lockdown, so I haven't noticed, but it does annoy me no. if I'm on the phone to someone and they put me on speaker because I just find it more difficult to hear them. Absolutely. I think it's quite interesting. Because you're not, cause it's because you're not using the phone like it's fucking intended to be used. You're supposed to put it to your ear. That's the whole point of having a phone, isn't it? It really does irritate me that it, it, it seems to be a, a, a way of using the phone. 
Maybe it's to do with ear infections. I don't know, but... I wonder if Cribbins uses his mobile phone like that. <sighs> Just shouting loudly into it while somebody else shouts loudly out of the earpiece. Oh, but not only not only has he been an arsehole about, about the taxi, he also insists Basil draw him a diagram to where he wants to, wants to <laughs> yeah. go. Causing a little sort of squabble between Sybil and Basil where um, he can't find a pen. And then Sybil produces a box with pens written on it. <laughs> and Basil said, pens looks more like Ben's to me. <laughs> a box of Ben's. She says, well, when Ben comes, you can give it to him, dear. <sighs> you know, just constant squabbling between the two of them. Yeah. Cribbins isn't happy because Faulty's written P off on the map. P off? <laughs> it's supposed to say post office. Yeah. I, I, I quite like that, the, the Cribbins character. There's a lot of, like, major misunderstandings here with... With cribbings and and I know it's all set up for like the the laughs. They quite tickle me actually. Yeah. And he looks like I don't know if you know major major misunderstanding from Viz looks very much like Mister Hutchinson, where there's all there's always sort of like massive misunderstandings where he's just totally got the wrong end of the stick, and it does feel like he's he's sort of in that kind of. He is that character, is he? Then yes, I think so. Basil's card, the, the gag with Basil's cards when he's holding the cards up for Manuel so he knows what to do with like an arrow pointing upstairs and yes, and, and, uh, the room number. Um, it's sort of like the Bob Dylan song where he's holding up cards all the time. It's a good gag. Espe- I loved it. Especially when Manuel holds up the, holds up the sign saying, okay. <laughs> His little face as well. I, I, in fact, I made a note about it. His little face looks so happy. That it all just kind of makes sense to, to to Manuel, and he knows what he's doing, and he can hold up a, a sign that says "Okay," and he actually knows that he, he actually understands everything. So Basil vents at Sybil for being a bit of a lazy bitch, basically, doesn't he? He has yes. a popper. Yeah. So Sybil points out to him that she gets things done instead of squabbling with the guests all the time, and and she speaks to him quite civilly but firmly, sort of saying he could he could speak nicer to the guests and it would help the business, which is a valid point, isn't it? It is valid. Is she not filing her nails at this point, though? Yes, there is the fact that yeah, it's just tit, it's just tit for tat, isn't it, with the two of them? It is. He, it is. He calls her my little nest of vipers. <laughs> 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 and then Sybil, of course, drops the news that there's going to be three hotel inspectors in town, which oh, oh dear, which Basil immediately gets in a in a tiz about predictably. As Mister Walt appeared at, at this point, who's the other guest that? Arrives around the same time. Yeah, he was there when they were when they were squabbling about the um, yeah about whether it was pens or bends. <laughs> yes, played by James Cousins. Yes, who was who played the magistrate in The Good Life? Yeah, he did. The yeah. magistrate that 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 deals with um, Tom in the courts is is the same character. He was also in. Crown Court, which was a big series in the seventies. Some mothers do have them, and Woof as well. Woof. <laughs> I saw he was in Woof. It wasn't what I was going to pick out of his CV, though. To be honest, <laughs> I think it's um, I think it's worth a mention. Woof. Yes, he bound uh, Tom Good over, didn't he? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing at that. <laughs> Sounds like some weird sex thing. Yeah, it does. Uh, so anyway, um, Basil's in Basil's in a, a tears about these hotel inspectors. Cribbins comes back in at this point, interrupting Basil's phone call and announcing. Oh, I love this scene. He announces grandiosely that he wishes to 
reserved the television to watch a documentary on Squawking Bird, the leader of the Blackfoot Indians. <laughs> Can you imagine reserving a television in a hotel these days? It feels it feels quite weird because I, I do I do vaguely remember going to a hotel where you didn't have a TV in your room and you all had to go and sit in like a communal yeah. TV area. Um, but the thought of doing that now just fills me with absolute horror. Well, he wants to reserve the BBC Channel from BBC Two Channel from the commencement of this visual feast. And Basil says, <laughs> Basil says, why don't you talk properly? <laughs> There is a documentary on BBC Two this evening about Squawking Bird, the leader of the Blackfoot Indians in the late 1860s. Now, this starts at 8.45 and goes on for approximately three quarters of an hour. I'm sorry, are you talking to me? Indeed I am, yes. Now, is it possible for me to reserve the BBC Two channel for the duration of this televisual feast? Why don't you talk properly? I beg your pardon? No, it isn't. What? It is not possible to reserve the BBC Two channel from the commencement of this televisual feast until the moment of the termination of its ending. Thank you so much. So yes, Cribbins isn't. Imp- well, keep calling Cribbins. Mister Hutchison isn't impressed that he yes. that he can't hire or reserve the channel in the lobby or in the in the bar, citing his yes. his vast encyclopedic knowledge of hotels throughout the land. Ah, and that is the point where Basil then realizes, oh, this could be the hotel inspector, and it all changes for Basil then. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a little bit slow, but you you can see the clattering of pennies, can't you? And then. After that, he does one of his famous 180s and goes from being irritable arsehole to fawning sycophant in sort of the blink of an yes. eye. It, yes. He can't do enough, can he? He's, he's, he's all over it. He's all over it at that point. And there's mention of a, of a table tennis table. Yeah. Which I, I think I read that John Cleese thought that this was one of the funniest lines in the entire two series. And he says, we've got a table tennis table. It's not in absolute mint condition, but could certainly be used in an emergency, which I thought was brilliant. It is a funny line, but nobody laughed. Did you notice? I, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for the, the, the audience to just fall over themselves. But I thought it was really funny. It, it missed it. It just passed them by. Yeah. I think sometimes it suffers, some of the gags suffer, I should say, from being so fast paced. It's suddenly onto something else, suddenly onto something else. Perhaps, yeah. I mean, that's quite a um, sort of surreal thing to say. Yeah. So maybe if it had been delivered in a... Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? If it had been delivered in a scene that wasn't so frenetic and high, fast-paced, maybe it would have landed better? It might have landed. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think... I, I don't know. I think maybe around that time, it was more about the visual. It was more about the obvious. Sometimes jokes hit... When the when the more obvious, that's quite a the, the surrealness of it makes it less of a it's it's less in your face, I suppose, isn't it? It's more of a Python joke than a Faulty Towers joke. Almost. I think it is more of a Python joke. Yeah. Hmm. I am from Barcelona. And Polly turns up at this point, and um, Cribbins is really condescending to her. He sort of power plays her, pretending he doesn't remember oh. her from breakfast, and then admonishes her for spilling the grapefruit juice and calls her a silly girl. And Polly gets um, passive aggressive. With him, she does, and Basil Basil panics, shoes are off, <laughs> and then what we get what we get next is the start of a behemoth fifteen minute scene. This is all one scene now in the dining room that lasts a good fifteen to sixteen minutes. Yeah, which must have been really difficult to do in in front of a studio audience because the pace, like I say, needed to be frenetic. You know, one thing to the next. At the start of it, Cribbins orders a Spanish omelet but takes exception to the fact that there's not going to be any fresh 
peas in it. He wants everything fresh because he's a fastidious dickhead and he wants yeah. everything to be fresh and frozen peas just won't do. So would you, would you have got fresh peas in, in, in the 70s? Was that a thing to get fresh peas? I thought that it was it was sort of like the start of the frozen food um, revolution, weren't it, in the 70s? So it's, it's quite a lot to ask. Maybe next to the um, topiary maze, he's got some pea pods growing out back. <laughs> Maybe. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a phone call for Mr. Hutchison and he says, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, because he doesn't want to put the earpiece to his... So he, he leaves he leaves the set. Uh, meanwhile, Manuel isn't having a good day. So when um, the guest from Room 7... Sorry, what was his name, Al? Um, the guest from Room 7 was called Mr. Walt. Mr. Walt. Uh, yeah, from Woof. From Mr. Walt from Wolf, he says, "Good afternoon." And Manuel says, "No, no, son, no good for me. I'm homesick." So, oh, poor, poor Manuel. Oh, I tell you what else he was in—a fish called Wanda. Was he? Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. Which which Cleese was was in, and so yeah, mm, okay. But obviously, it's not got pride of place on his CV ahead of Wolf. No, it's a shame. Uh, Manuel shunts. The guest about uh, Mr. Wolf. I can't remember his name already, so I'm just going to call him Mr. Wolf. <laughs> Mr. Walt. Um, Mr. Wolf. He, he sort of shunts him about from table to table in, in very manic fashion, leaving him yes. clearly unimpressed. And it, this is all a setup to Basil coming back in to hand uh, Mr. Hutchison his drink and finding that Mr. Wolf has pinched Mr. Hutchison's table. Oh, yes. It was like table. Um... What's it called, that game, where you play? Oh, Musical Tables, not Musical Chairs. Is Musical Tables a game? I don't think so. Musical musical Chairs and Musical musical Statues, I know. Yeah, but Musical Tables is what they're playing in the dining room. Poor Mr. Wolf has to get moved again, and then he sort of remonstrates with that and saying, well, the way to put me there, Basil says, well, he's hopeless, you might as well ask the cat. (laughs) (laughs) Poor man, well. So Mr. Wolf, he wants to see the wine list. It really makes me laugh. Basil just grabs it out with the major's hands and gives it to him. <laughs> and then Cribbins blusters back in, moaning about the greasiness of the earpiece. Oh. <laughs> and he's not happy with the temperature of the ginger beer that he's got, and he demands his own ice bucket. He's he is he is what he is certainly on one, isn't he, Mr. Hutchinson? Um, and no wonder, no wonder Basil thought he was uh, the hotel inspector. Yeah. Who behaves like that if they're not? It's just very odd. There's a guy I know, um, who I don't think would listen to this podcast, so I'm probably safe, who um, was, uh, <laughs> he had a job as like a trade in standards type thing. Oh, yes. So he used to go in pubs and if the measure was too short, he'd get his card out, you know, and flash it. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like that character in Friends that's going out with Phoebe, who's got the power to shut restaurants down. Shut restaurants down, yes, yeah. He was a bit. He's very. He was very power crazy. He come. Around, he come to my house when I lived in the UK for my kids' christening. His missus said to me, "Oh, don't let him see all your hooky DVDs and CDs. He'll he'll report you." So my house looked like Del Boy's flat when Rodney started going out with a copper. I was getting rid of all the hooky <laughs> DVDs and everything because this fastidious bloke who was very much like. I remember Grimmins, that. I remember that because you had like about two DVDs left on you on your cupboard. And it looked like you'd been burgled. <laughs> yeah, it was just my only three genuine DVDs. <laughs> <in the house. laughs> oh, well. 
Um, so yes, so Cribbins is an arsehole, a bit like my friend's husband, who let's hope yeah. never listens to this episode. Um, so there's there's a great physical comedy scene coming up with uh, with Basil trying to uncork the wine. Oh, I felt for him. I did. He he, he was just getting more and more flustered. Yeah, because when Mister Wolf says that the wine's been corked, he says, "No, it isn't. I just uncorked it." <laughs> <laughs> God, he just makes himself just appear so inept as as that as this scene goes on. It just gets worse and worse. Funnily enough, a lot of a lot of what happened in that scene was was actually accidental or fortuitous because the lack of pour was not Cleese getting was due to Cleese getting the cork stuck by accident. So the setup was mainly oh wow was, the setup was mainly for the wine to be corked as in gone bad, not for yes. the not for the wine not to pour the way it did. But he got the corkscrew stuck in it, and then yeah. when he was trying to pour, and then he spilt it everywhere. Got a big laugh. That wasn't scripted. That was all just you know. So they all just carried on? Did, did mm. Mr. Wolf just react? Oh, he's a professional. He's worked with the best. Oh, that's... Well, that's it. Exactly. If you've worked on Wolf, you obviously know your shit, don't you? Exactly. It's probably how he got the job on Wolf when he went for the interview. <laughs> yeah. Like, Are you good under pressure? Good under pressure? <laughs> Have you not seen Series 1, Episode 4? <laughs> Fault Towers? Where I played Mr. Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> so after all the arseholery from Hutchison, Sybil yes. sort of calls Basil out and breaks the news to him that Cribbins isn't a hotel inspector, is he? No, he sells spoons. Yes. I, presumably to... Oh, no, it wasn't just spoons. It was entire cutlery sets. He wasn't just specialising in spoons. Yes. Selling them to Yuri Geller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's, yeah, he's a, he's a cutlery salesman. So Basil, being an illogical, unreasonable cretin that he is... His reaction is that Hutchison was pretending to be a hotel inspector just to fucking get oh. under his skin, which isn't at all reasonable, as if he knew anything about the hotel inspector situation. So Baz- yeah. Basil's like, I'm going to get him, and, and Sybil's like, there is no excuse for rudeness. You think, yeah, that's not good. That's falling on deaf ears, because Basil stalks it into is. that dining room, clearly on a mission, isn't he? And he just sort of prowls around, doesn't he, like a sort of alpha lion, and then he's just, he sort of goes, spoons, eh? And, and Cribbins turns around and goes, I beg your pardon? And he goes, Spoons. <laughs> <laughs> but like, Cribbins is like dabbing all the spit off him afterwards. Isn't spit he? off his face. <laughs> and then I think Basil passive, passively, aggressively offers him a tea cosy for his pepper pot. It's just generally being anything but courteous to him now that he knows he's not yeah. a hotel inspector. During during this sort of backwards and forwards at, at this point, when Polly gets involved, oh yeah, this is a brilliant bit, isn't it? I found this really interesting that again Polly takes the rap. She takes the public rap. We've talked about this before, where she is almost like the fall guy for for Basil sometimes when she doesn't even need to be. She she could say, "I'm nothing. There's nothing to do with me." This yeah, but she takes a public rap in front of the um the guests, and Basil gets a gets away with it almost because she's willing to sort of fall on a sword for him. Well, I mean, he he's not happy because he's had he says, I have been given an erroneous dish. <laughs> erroneous, yeah. Of course Basil like is assaulting Manuel with a soup spoon. Yes. I think Cribbins is getting too involved for Basil's liking in the discussion mm. about who's to blame for the mixed up order. So Basil decides that, well, you can run the place then and I'll have your omelette and he's sort of trying to yeah. trying to eject Cribbins from his seat and it's all ramping up and then when 
Hutchison gets another wrong order, the patty, which is clearly Woof's, yes. Woof's order, not his. Yeah. Basil opens another bottle for Woof, another <laughs> bottle of wine. <laughs> yeah. And then, but Woof's already got a second bottle because Manuel's opened it. Yes. So Basil stabs Manuel in the arse with a corkscrew, which is a, yeah. it's, it's a bit much, even for it Basil. Is, considering considering that Manuel's almost got Basil out of, out of the, the shit. Mm. By sorting out, making the guest happy, which is which is his job, the top and bottom line of being a hotelier that you make the guests happy. Manuel's already done that, and he he almost doesn't want him to do that. He almost makes it makes it almost like he's done something wrong, and he hasn't. Yeah, poor Manuel. Then of course Hutchison, he gets another wrong order. He gets a lamb casserole, which again is Mister Woof's. So yes, so Manuel gets another slap at this point, and this is where it really comes to a head, doesn't it? When Basil tells him to shut up and. Hutchison explodes, and then you get this. Is this the bit that you're talking about with the pantomime between Polly and Cleese, where they're like, Oh, I wasn't yes. talking to you? And they do that really clever thing. Yes, yes, yeah. And she sort of ends up taking the rap for it and saying that it was, it was, it was her. She was the, the sort of the recipient of, 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 of Basil's anger. Yeah, as if it's okay to tell your waitress to shut up in front of a guest. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, God. they did it so well looking at the wrong person while delivering the line. Yes. I mean, to do that must have took a lot of practice. Mm. With And they, they did it expertly. And Cribbin's like a bewildered meat in a sandwich, sort of. He, he goes quite quickly, a lot a lot in this episode, to being yeah. this annoying man, to being totally bewildered and like, what, what, what's going on? Yeah. Well, Basil, Basil continues making a prat of himself with uh, Mr. Wolf, telling him most mm. guests wouldn't know a Bordeaux from a claret, which is the same. <laughs> I think what happens is Mr. Wolf panics Basil by making a throwaway statement about what he's doing in Torquay. Yes. Which isn't interviewing for the part in Wolf. Nope. It's, he's there with two colleagues who are at another hotel. And that, again, just makes Basil oh, two and two Basil. together and get 73. Absolutely. Yeah. Makes up his own story. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it, you know, you know yourself as a viewer. I know we've seen it before, but you know. It's again. It's just Basil jumping to conclusions. Yeah. So when Cribbins kicks off at yet another wrong order, <laughs> Basil's desperate to shut him up at this point so that Mister um, Wolf doesn't shut down the hotel. Yes. Oh God! This next bit. He almost kills him, doesn't he? Smothering him. <laughs> oh. Because he's even saying, "I can't, I can't breathe. I can't breathe." Oh God! Horrendous. He's pretending he's got some cheese stuck in his throat. I think. Yes. But, I mean, if someone's got cheese stuck in their throat, you don't, like, smother them. <laughs> cover, cover it up and stop them from breathing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he, I don't know what happened to him. Does he pass out? Does he... he yeah, they drag, him, they drag him from the the restaurant into the bar area. So he gets dragged through the hotel with show, while the show's in. Call the, call the doctor. Call the doctor to Sybil. While this is going on, Mr. Walt is... Um, He's the news, obviously, suspect, as, as far as Basil's concerned, as to who the hotel inspector is. He comes to reception yes. to make a phone call and Basil's fawning all over him. Uh, and unfortunately for Basil, it's at this point that Cribbins has regained consciousness and sort of staggers out and lays Basil out with a, not just one punch, but sort of, what, five punches and a knee in the ball. I've got f- five and then he knees him. So like, he's proper gives it to him, doesn't he? Yeah. While, say, while saying I'm not a violent man, yeah. Mr. Fawlty. 
that is great writing that. I mean, if it had just been one punch, but he, the fact that yeah. he punches him five times and knees him in the gonads and then says, I'm not a violent man, Mr. Faulty. <laughs> I'm not a violent man, Mr. Faulty. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not. No, but when I'm insulted and, and then attacked, I prefer to rely on my own metal than call the police. Do you? Do you? Yes, I do. Now stand up like a man. Come on. Bit of trouble with the old leg, eh? Rip, come on! <laughs> and he says, I'm going to collect my belongings and I do not expect to receive a bill. Harumph. Harumph. He literally harumphs, doesn't he? Harumph. He does. He does. Adjusts his tie and harumphs, and off he goes. And so, of course, then Basil's oh, so desperate and pathetic, trying to convince uh, Mr. Wolf that the violence was all part of some sort of theatrics. Yes. Mr. Hutchison actually enjoys as a regular guest, and then sort of trying to smooth it over, he offers him dinner, but... Yep. He's not interested in dinner. And finally, he offers him 50 quid and then 60 quid so as not to ruin the business because they spent spent 12 years building it up. He says to Mr. To Mr. Wolf, please don't mention it in the book. And at which point Mr. Wolf's like, I don't know what, I don't know what, you're, talking, I don't know what you're talking about. And then Basil has this very public bre- breakdown. Well, this is where he goes to pieces because he realises he shouldn't have mentioned the book. He's gone too far by being blatant in his bribe. Yes. And he starts sort of winding like a scalded dog really oh i need mr wolf to come down and sort him out because he was yes making all these noises (laughs) (laughs) you've got me confused with someone else (laughs) i'm i'm nothing to do with any hotel guide i'm down here for the exhibition i sell outboard motors Not an, in, not an inspector, but, but that's Basil is so relieved that he kisses his hand. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what's really weird? When you go on IMDb for this episode, they have like almost mm. like hashtags that relate to the episode. One of them is man, right. man kissing man. Really? As if it's yeah. homoerotic. <laughs> no, he just kisses his hand because he's so grateful that he's, he's not who he thinks he is. Yeah, it's not like Brokeback Mountain, is it? Not at all. So, of course... When he realises, he pulls himself together and rushes off. Mr. Wolf leaves. This all happens just in time for Grimmins to come down the stairs, ready to leave. But Basil rushes out of the kitchen. Manuel says he wants to say adios to him. Yeah. And he comes out with a cream pie to the face and groin. And then Manuel pours a jug of milk into his briefcase. <laughs> it does get very farcical, doesn't it? It's very sort of circus-like at this, at this point. But weirdly, Cribbins just accepts it and leaves. <laughs> yeah, he does. It's his briefcase. Yeah, he's like, well, that's me done. It's the end of the episode. I'm off to get my paycheck. In this time, these three men have actually come into the lobby and have witnessed all of this. Da, da, da. But Basil walks over and says, oh, how can I help you three gentlemen today? <laughs> and then lets out a scream when he realises that they've just witnessed everything. Yes, he literally screams in the face. Which, because, oh. his ma- because of his mania, mm. you actually accept as not being over the top because he's got himself into such a tiz as his episode's gone, gone yes. on. But it occurs to me that this could have carried on ad infinitum. If these three guests had been just on a business trip, it would have all happened yeah. again and then they'd have left and another three blokes might have turned up. Maybe O'Reilly's builders. And they'd be like, oh, hotel inspectors. <laughs> yeah, he would have assumed it was everybody that he came into contact with. And again... 
I know that this this goes against the convention of of comedy writing, but if he just asked, if he just asked or just listened, it would have all been clear. Yeah, but I do think it's a, it's a it's an excellent episode. It's one of my favourites. Yes, yeah, it is. I think the 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 dislikability of of Cribbins for me is is a highlight because he plays such cuddly characters usually mm. um, and in this he, he plays he plays it so well the the annoying irritating guest it's, it's wonderful a definite highlight the thing about that character is that we've all met people who maybe not to that extent but mm. busybodies um self-important well i've already told the story haven't i i hope to god he never listens to this episode um but you know we've all know people who are very full of their own importance and, and talk like idiots you know verily my good lady you know, that type of fucking nonsense. It makes you cringe. It does. Like Jimmy Savile. Don't get me doing impersonations again, Alison. You know what the, I'm like. The Jimmy Savile... I don't know, but there's like a, the, the Jimmy Savile talking in riddles. You know, using words um, with with like, a, like self-importance and almost to keep people on the, t- the tours. I always thought that Jimmy Savile didn't really, you know, like just didn't just generally converse with people. It was all like bloody riddle me this kind of conversations. that you, And Stuart Hall as well. Yeah. Not that I'm putting Cribbins' character in that in that same um, arena. Stuart Hall, much like Savile, ended up, Savile escaped to the long arm of the law, but I think yeah. Stuart, Stuart Hall is either still inside or dead, isn't he, for non-surrey. Mm-hmm. But just that, that that inability to just speak frankly and openly and directly. It was always in amongst limericks and, and rhyming couplets for no reason. Yeah, theatrics. Yes, yeah. One thing that we didn't talk about in this in this episode was uh, mm. when Basil rips up Cribbin's omelette and puts it on the Major's table. <laughs> yeah. Um, it really makes me laugh that the Major just smiles and starts eating it. <laughs> He's quite happy with that, isn't he? It's like, oh, nice one, more food. He just he takes everything in his stride. He gets his wine list like ripped out of his hand. He's just like, oh well, what's next? <laughs> if you were the major, like Jesus Christ, you would you'd just leave, wouldn't you? And this guy lives there permanently amongst all this chaotic nonsense. Yeah, and he's quite happy. He must be getting like a heavily discounted rate. He's got menage a trois going on with the two old ladies. I told you. Yeah. A lot of violence in for the violence tab. Manuel is stabbed with a corkscrew, spooned in the face, slapped. Basil is punched five times, kneed in the bollocks, and then elbowed as well by Cribbins. Yeah, it is a high a high count. It is, yes. Now, did you pick up any bric-a-brac from this episode? Because I'm afraid I didn't. I got totally distracted and forgot to. I I picked the um, the pen holders on the um, the counter at reception. So they are. It's like a like a, a board that has, um, like a pen lid, mm. pointed outwards, and then you popped your pens into it, and it and they came with a pen. They always they always remind me of like um like banks or doctor surgeries where they had a special pen that went into the the pen holder. I know what you mean. And then yeah. as you as you lost that pen, um, they'd be replaced with just like a big biro or like a pen that you got through the post with a like a charity letter until it was like a like, just like a golf pencil that was stuffed in there and but they all started off with like a very ornate kind of pen usually on the end of a string so you couldn't steal it was it i think that was like the next step 
I think you had the 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 pen holder things like they have at Faulty Towers, and then you ended up with a pen string thing to stop people stealing it. Well, I let you down this week because I didn't pick any for me. All the mayhem that was going on, yeah, and all the cribbins goodness and all the woof stuff. Mm. <laughs> you didn't spot. Yeah, I just kind of forgot. I'm afraid. But never mind, we'll just move forward. That's okay. I think that leaves us with just one more thing to do, Al. You know what that is, don't you? Yeah. Fashion corner. We'll have a trip over. Yay! Well, well it's, it's time, time to take a little trip to the place that long ago was hip. It's fashion corner. It's fashion corner. It's fashion corner. Fashion corner. So my first mention this week in Fashion Corner is Sybil's brown dress at the start of the episode. It's like a, a brown... At first I thought it was like a, like a skirt suit that she had on, and it wasn't. It was actually a dress with a black blouse underneath it that had like a chain link print in white and brown around it. Very, very of the era. She's always dressed for her job. She's always dressed for the occasion, I think. She always looks quite smart when she's sort of in reception and in hotelier role. Um, so this was like a perfect outfit for her to be wearing. I've also mentioned Basil's green cardigan as part of Fashion Corner as well. Right. It was sort of gold trimmed around the front and around the cuffs. He does suit a cardigan, does Basil, whether it's because it's like he's like elongated body. Mm. Uh, but when he's got a cardigan on, I always think he looks quite... He's quite smart. Because again, he's someone that he dresses for the for the job and being behind the counter. But I don't know whether that was just in the seventies. It seemed to be that we've had this conversation before. There was still that overhang where people still dressed smartly, no matter what they were doing. Yeah, it, yeah, like it, our granddads. A shirt and tie. Yeah, it was always there was no uniform, but they were always dressed for for the for the for the, for the role for the job to make them to make them look more just smarter. I think. But yeah, his cardigan was definitely worthy of a mention and beyond those things Mr Wolf and Mr Hutchinson and the Major all in like double breasted suits and and slacks Uh, not really not really out of the ordinary I don't think but again it highlights the fact that in the in the 70s of that time I can't imagine someone rocking up to a um, to a hotel now if, if it was beyond work in a, in, a, in a shirt, in like a suit and, and trousers. It's just of a time, I think. I would hate to go for a meal in a suit. I mean, I suppose there must have been occasions where I have done that. But if I'm going to go for yeah. a feed, which is what, yeah. the way I look at it, not, not not like a sophisticated meal out, it's a feed for me. I'm going to the restaurant yes. to have something to eat. And when I've finished having something to eat and me drink, I want to fuck off. That's, that's the way yeah. I look at it. I don't want to, uh, you know... I always want them to bring me the Bill Sharbish. I want to go home where I can watch me telly or... Yes. You know, I'm not... I suppose I'm just not a very social person. Yeah, these guys were making a meal of it, weren't they? They were going out and they were getting a proper bottle of wine. And I get anxiety yeah. at those sort of places where you have to dress properly, especially when, yes. when they're crowded. Because I, I don't suppose a Faulty Towers dining room is like this, but you know when in, in, a, in a cafe or restaurant where they put to my mind, too many tables in because they're trying to get yes. a lot a lot of um, guests in. Yes. And, you know, you need to go to the toilet and you need to squeeze and manipulate your way through the tables. I, yeah. I, I was saying to Ali last night that I have terrible trouble with this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fat guy now, but when I was younger, I was 
and when I was a teenager, I was quite slim. Mm. But in your mind, this is the thing about getting fat when you as you get older. You don't, you forget. I mean, you know, but you forget. So if I have to my, manipulate my way through the tables, I just think, oh yeah, rather than asking that woman to get up or something, I can squeeze through that gap. Right. And I can't. So I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I mean, you're slim, but... One time I had to get I had to get through, and the woman was paying attention, so I thought I'll just squeeze through. I literally, with my guts, tipped her forward in her chair. <laughs> I just tried to squeeze through and sort of suck it in, and I literally tipped this poor woman forward in her chair into her soup. Amazing. Eating out is more of a um, experience thing for these guys, isn't it? Which is why they're dressed yes. up. Yes, it's the treatment that they get based on. The fact that they're smart and they're it's it's to be seen as someone that's worthy of attention, I suppose. Yeah, um, status. It's like a, almost like a like a signaler of, of of where they sit. Yeah, in the class system. And I find that really difficult because I'm like you. I if I could go out in my pajamas, I would do to go and have my tea. So I could just come home and just slip myself into bed. Yeah, that would be the the goal. I don't know what their purpose is, but when I go out, I, I don't see it as something that's good. I just see the opportunity to embarrass myself. And try and avoid it by not tipping people into their dinner. <laughs> not tipping women into the soup, with, yeah. With my guts. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a different world, I guess. It's been it's been easier in recent sort of months because, I don't know what it's like in, in New Zealand, but there's um, like limitations on, on, on how many people can go into certain areas, uh, which has helped for me because things, places aren't as busy. There's not as many people stacked into, mm. into buildings for purposes of, of, of health and safety. But for me, for, for my ability to sort of function and, and feel comfortable, yeah. that's so much better. We're, we're all quite lucky. I always think, though, there's people out there in abusive relationships that are stuck in lockdown and we're, we're in that way. We've yes. got lovely families and we can just hide away and be happy that we're hidden away from the world. So and if yes. the people and out there who yeah. are doing it tough, I really, my heart goes out to them, really. Mm, totally. Yeah. Totally, yeah. So do you know what episode we've got next week? Um, I don't. I only know that it's episode five. <laughs> oh, yeah, so your maths are on point. Nice one. I, I can I can count. It's um it's episode five, Gourmet Night. Okay. Which is the episode where they decide to have a... Again, it's a class status thing. They're trying to raise... Or Basil is trying to raise the, um, clean, the, the standard of the clientele by having okay. a very swanky gourmet night that he's, he's, oh, he's very emotionally invested in. Yep. Um, and they have, a, they have a new chef called Kurt in this one. I actually guested on another podcast talking about this episode last year. Yeah. So I don't need to do any research because I've got all my notes from last time. <laughs> Excellent. I will get on it. I do remember this one. I remember the chef. If you're liking what we're doing and you want to join in, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sado Podcast, where we post rare photos, videos on Faulty Towers, The Good Life and more. We have a Facebook page that you can find by searching Saddle Podcast. And we also have a growing Facebook group, which you can join and contribute to with discussions or memes and rarities that you might find yourself. You can also vote for the subject matter of our forthcoming Series 3, which will be later this year. Um, and you can make suggestions and just join in generally with the chitter chatter. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, which is at saddle.club. 
where you can also get more information about us, read the blog posts. Uh, there's a new one out this week. You can share it with a coffee and listen to episodes if you don't do podcast apps. Uh, you can also watch the original episodes that we discuss on our episode notes pages and take our good life quiz. Get in touch. Email us at sadopodcast at gmail.com and subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Yeah, reviews are great. Um, honest reviews without being abusive are nice. We've had a few abusive ones. I just delete them. That's too short, isn't it? It is. One of them, the email I got, subject heading just said, just give up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, you just don't, you know. We're not for everyone. That's fine. Just go do something else, no. mate. Yeah. Last thing we need to give a big shout out. Thanks to Rusty Doodles, who has let us use his um, drawings of Basil and Manuel on our social media header. He's a very talented doodler, drawer, artist. And he's yeah, got lots of other stuff, bad. lots of other stuff on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow him on Twitter at RustyDoodles191 or on Instagram at RustyDoodles86 to see his work. I think you can also buy certain things from him on his shop, actually, which are really cool. Yep. So we'll see you next week for Series 1, Episode 5, Gourmet Night. Look forward to it. We'll see you then. It's goodbye from me. Oh, and it's goodbye from me. No, goodbye from him. And it's goodbye it's from him. It's Ronnie's setup. It was a setup, Al. Bloody hell. <laughs> I'll have to try something else. May all your cakes taste like Fanny's. What's that from? That was Fanny Craddock's husband said it at the end of a segment when he, when they'd been doing cakes. He said, that is wonderful. She said, oh, I love that. She said, goodbye. And he said, may all your cakes taste like Fanny's. <laughs> <laughs> see you next week. I'll see you then. Bye.